Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. I hope you're all well, having a lovely week so far, enjoying the sunshine, etc, etc. If we're meeting for the first time, the She Can, She Did podcast is essentially one in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with female founders dotted all over the UK, usually over a giant cup of coffee, but of course on Zoom for the foreseeable future, and ask them to open up to me about absolutely everything they've been through, what's and all, to not just launch but sustain and grow their businesses to date. The overarching aim being that She Can, She Did encourages current female founders to persevere by highlighting that setbacks en route are so, so, so normal and inspire as many business owners that launching a business is possible no matter what age you are, but only, of course, if you're willing to grit your teeth and work seriously hard. Now, before we get going, those of you that listen regularly will know that this podcast is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts, aka the business current account dedicated to over 200,000 startups, founders and freelancers that I've been banking with ever since I switched over to being a limited company at the end of 2018. But I also wanted to let you know that they also happen to be the only place in the UK where you can register a limited company and open a business account in one process for free. Now, no one likes a sales pitch, do they? So I'll keep this short and sweet. But it's a service which I so, so wish had been available back in 2018 because it definitely would have streamlined the whole process for me and tied to cover the £12 company's house incorporation fee too. So essentially, you can start your business journey as a limited company with Tide for free. Basically, for those of you that want to set up as a limited company or switch from being a sole trader to a limited company like I did, all you do is search the company company name you would like so I would have put in she can she did limited enter your personal and business details and in a matter of minutes your limited company application will be sent your tied business current account will be set up and you are good to go it's also worth noting that tied have no monthly fees and have all the fancy perks you could want and need from a business account including account integrations easy invoicing scheduled payments member perks etc etc they really are pretty great so please do feel free to have a peek at www.tide.co forward slash start if you're interested. With that said and done, this week, in fact, it was a Friday last fortnight, if I'm being honest, I got to chat to Ellie Webb, the Bristol-based founder of Kalenio, the non-alcoholic spirit that aims to bring joy to non-drinking that Ellie launched during dry January 2019 that has gone on to see some pretty exceptional growth. Three months in, it launched into 500 Sainsbury stores. The Sainsbury's buyers approached her, FYI. It was recently named Good Housekeeping's number one non-alcoholic spirit, out of a panel of 20, that is. And in the past month, Kalenio also caught the attention of Hollywood and will be drunk by a certain Hollywood heartthrob in a scene dedicated to non-alcoholic drinks in an upcoming movie. The randomness of that last story is honestly why I love my job so much, by the way. From the early days of Kalenio, when Ellie put her marketing background to good use in order to capitalise on Dry January with specific collaborations, micro-influencers and social ads, and how her approach to marketing has evolved as the brand has gone from strength to strength thereafter, as a solo founder turned boss of six, what her advice is for founders growing a team, and why the impact of the coronavirus shaped her as a leader to the impact of COVID-19 on Kalenio itself and how she went about figuring out the role the brand would play during lockdown. Plus, of course, more about that Hollywood story. This is Ellie's story to date. As always, I really hope you enjoy it. 
actually, I feel like we had a brief chat on the call, but I always try and save things up for, for these recordings. So are you happy to, should we just dive in with what your business is all about in your own words and we'll go from there? Yeah. So my business is called Kalenyo. It's a tropical non-alcoholic spirit and it's ultimately designed to be a credible grown-up drink that you have if you'd normally go for something that was alcoholic but you don't want to drink alcohol so that might be for whatever reason you're pregnant it's monday tuesday wednesday night you don't fancy going for a glass of g and t and so it's got all the flavors of an alcoholic product but just with none of the alcohol and so yeah we're all about bringing a lot more fun to to the non-alcoholic category that's amazing i know one of my best friends she struggled so much because she felt pregnant over christmas and it was in like the first trimester when she was keeping it quiet and she was like, it was horrendous at bars, just like trying to navigate that whole situation when we were all out and stuff. So I feel like products like this are so, so needed. Where did the idea come from? So the idea came from, it was actually during a dry January, which is obviously quite a big thing now. So I'd, it was exactly that. I'd had quite a boozy Christmas, overdone it and drunk too much, felt like I needed a detox. So it was actually when I was out on a night out with friends in Bristol, I'd offered to drive because I wasn't drinking. And I got to the bar and I think I ordered a pint of Diet Coke. And then I had another one. And then I was like, I don't really want to drink this all night. So I just reverted to water. And that's when it kind of got me thinking, because everyone else was drinking gin and tonics, craft beers. And I was thinking, is this the best that, that's on offer if you're not drinking? You know, I still wanted to have a good time. It was a, it was a music night. We went to see a live band. And I think that was what first got me thinking about it. And I worked in the drinks industry as well. So I was sort of familiar with the industry. And, and I just kind of got a little bit obsessed with it. What was your job if you were in the drinks industry before? Like what area? Uh, so I headed up the marketing side for a drinks wholesaler, a major drinks wholesaler. So they basically sell drinks to pubs, bars and restaurants across the UK. That's a handy background then for what you've gone into. That's really yeah, cool. yeah. So yeah, typically I went for something that obviously I did know something about. So I, I really have a lot of respect for people that jump headfirst into an industry they have no clue about because yeah, it's an even bigger learning curve. So was it really very much like you kind of saw that gap and thought I'm going to go for it? Or had you always, had it ever dawned on you that you might run your own business one day or was it very random? I guess I've always been quite ambitious and I've always wanted to progress in my career and I'd always sort of channeled that into my job and you know worked really hard but I think looking back now when I was a kid if you look at you actually sort of start to think about it and I was always buying making selling stuff I was always quite entrepreneurial in that respect so I think I always had this dream of starting a business but it's almost one of those things that everyone always says oh I'd love to start a business and then you never actually do it and then when I had this idea I thought, you know what, this actually could be something I, that I do start. Mm. And no one was more surprised than me when I actually like followed through. And, you know, a few months later, I was still, my um, family were like, oh, you're still working on that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did that look like then? Because like you said, loads of people dream about having the business, but it's the minority that go on to actually make it a reality. So to me, those initial few months are like the really interesting bit. Where did yeah. you start? What did you prioritise to just get the cogs turning, I guess? Yeah, so in the beginning, I did a lot of research. I just looked at what was out there, what was in the market ready. I also basically sent a survey out to all of my Facebook contacts, asking them about their drinking habits. And I bet that threw up some surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so that, that was quite cool. I got quite a good response, actually. Well, I think about 150 people responded, which was like great. 
better than two. So yeah, I was heavy on the research for the first two, three months. And then actually it was a trip back to Colombia, which is like a big part of the inspiration of the brand, which actually sparked a lot of the inspiration around the flavor profile, the actual bottle and design itself. And so I think that trip almost for me was kind of make or break. I kind of thought I'm going to come back from this trip and almost be like you know what I'm going to forget about business I'm going to go back to my job and you know I'll just sort of forget about it but actually it had the opposite effect it sort of served as real inspiration I came back buzzing with ideas and just mm. kind of ready to go really. And you've got family roots in Colombia that's why you went back there right? Yeah so my mum's Colombian so she would take me and my two sisters over there sometimes on her own like three young girls because my dad was working doing projects and so she'd sometimes just take us all on the plane, like, right, we're going to see family and we'd go there for two or three months at a time, which was great. So and I learned to speak Spanish and I got to know my relatives over there. And now we've got we've got quite a few, like quite a big family Colombian group over here. So um, get togethers were always quite noisy. There were always like lots of music, lots of dancing, cultures quite upbeat and fun. So going back there as an adult was quite a different experience. I actually travelled around the country and saw I'd only ever been to, to Cali, which is known as like the capital of salsa. They, they love to dance. I'd only ever been there, whereas this time I got to go to Medellin, I got to go to the coast, the coffee region, and it was beautiful. I was going to say, I feel like I'm drinking Colombian coffee beans right now. So <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I was watching at the beginning of lockdown, that race around the world. Like Colombia just looked above and beyond compared to all the other countries. It's amazing. And even just on your website now, all the branding is just, you can see how heavily it's all been inspired by it. It's amazing. So you come back to the UK and you obviously said like the flavour profiles, all of that. What did that process involve? Because again, was it kitchen based, just you ordering products or did you go to factories? Just for anyone that's interested in these product based businesses, especially when you're selling something to the public, like a drink all the health and safety stuff, making sure that you were ticking all those boxes. How did you get going? Yeah, so it definitely started in the home. So I started literally just ordering the botanicals and started experimenting. And then that tied into my research. And just um, I think you have to, if you're creating a product, you really need to like understand how it's made and almost try it yourself first. But also keep in mind that if you do want it to be not just a market stall product where you're just going to do small batches all the time, which is fine, and you can get accreditations and you can make stuff in your kitchen. But for me, I was always like, this is always a means to an end. And I knew that I wanted to scale it up. So I always had that at the back of my mind. And then once I had a really good idea of the flavors and the actual structure of the product and like, you know, I wanted it to be citrus, spices, tropical notes. And once I knew that and I had a good idea of the types of ingredients, then I went and took it to someone that understood the nutritionals, the health and safety what it needs to be in order to be mass produced essentially Mm. and was that that stage because to me the minute you step up to that level and take it beyond the kitchen that's where money starts coming into play right so was this all coming from savings like how did you fund the initial research in those early few months well it doesn't have to be too expensive you can work with like individual consultants so people that are experts in their field and they can almost like work alongside you as a support so if there's areas that you're, you know, lacking in knowledge on, they can help you at like not a huge cost. There's lots of places where you can just give them a brief and then they go out and they come back to you and they send you samples back. That's not the way I like to work. And I think they charge a hell of a lot of money and I think mm. it's a bit of a rip off. So I definitely think if you can find someone almost to work alongside you, so you're still driving it, but they're kind of pointing you in the right direction and giving you the right knowledge. I think that's best 
then of course when you're really sure and you've also tested the product out you know I did a lot of I went to so there's something called the mindful drinking festival so I went along to that with 20 bottles like I didn't have any more of that I just produced those in my kitchen and I tested it out with people and I made sure that people like it before you get to that scale up where you then you start to spend a bit more money make sure that the product is at the right stage Mm, yeah do you remember a moment where you realized it was ready to go and how I guess how did you feel when you you knew that it was time to like you said scale up I think it was actually at the Mindful Drinking Festival because it was the first time I'd gone into pubs and bars and restaurants and they kindly let me like sample I think it was a mixture of both I felt like I was a waitress again because I was doing it free and I said oh do you mind if I go in there and allow people to have a cleanser and tonic with their meal and then use it to get feedback and so I had a really good reaction from that but then at the Mindful Drinking Festival in Spitalfields they get thousands of people attending that festival per day and I had a stall and I just had such a brilliant reaction from the public that I was like everyone loves it and I also had someone from Sainsbury's team so they have something called the Future Brands team who actually approached me that day and said really like your product they'd obviously gone around and tried quite a few and, and really liked mine and, and he'd said I'll be in touch with you tomorrow and I was like really skeptical. It's like, okay, this is weird. You don't normally get retailers approaching you. And actually the next day he did, he did write me an email. I think that's kind of when I knew, and that was around summer 2018. I think that's when I knew, right, I've got a great product now and I just need to figure out how to scale it up. That's absolutely amazing. I remember in your initial email, three months in and, and Sainsbury's stocks you. I mean, it's like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other food and drink brands that I've interviewed and I don't know if anyone's had that kind of yeah. it happened that quickly I suppose so that's September or summer 2018 you're launching properly in dry January how did you approach the marketing because you can have the good product and you can be confident in that product and you can do all of these small scale public facing meet and greet kind of things but how did you get the word out there beyond Facebook friends and kind of I guess to the public yeah, it was a mixture. So obviously I was still a one-woman band when I launched in January 2019. And so I did a few things, like knowing that essentially no one knew about my product really. I used Instagram actually quite heavily. So I convinced a few brands to team up with me and do collaborations. So I did a collaboration with Emily's Crisps, Ugly Drinks. I convinced Pineapple Studios to let me go in there and sample. And so I just, I just did loads of these collaborations and also got them to share that on their channel. So it was reaching the right kind of audiences. And you reached out via email? Yeah, or just messaged them directly on, on Instagram. And then I did the same with micro-influencers as well. So people that I think were into their fitness and their health and I thought would like this kind of product. And the fact it was dry January. So I spent like the last, you know, that weird time at Christmas in between. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Boxing Day's gone, but New Year's not there yet. Yeah, so I was emailing people being like, would you like to try a bottle of Kalenio? I'll send it out to you for free. And, and if you like it, then great if you shout it. If not, don't worry. There was like no pressure. So I did that. And so I got loads of people in January actually talking about the product to their followers. And I think that helped quite a bit as well, get the noise out. Yeah. Then I did actually do some sampling. So I have a friend that runs a Latin American supermarket and it backs onto Maltby Market in London. And he very kindly let me use that back entrance to that. So I had like a stand that said dry January sampling and I was getting people as they're walking into the market to try it. And that was pretty good. That's incredible. And how quickly did you start seeing it pick up then? Uh, fairly quickly, actually. So dry January is obviously when people are actively looking for these kind of products because they might decide to do the challenge and take a month off. 
And so actually I found that I only really had our website at the time. So that was our main sales channel. So I just remember I had like the Shopify app going, ding, ding, you know, it just kept all that. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. I feel like this is a thing and this is a bit that I'm always really interested in. It's like the initial buzz around a launch, people are so willing to get behind it, but you really have sustained that momentum, I suppose. So looking back from where you are now, was there any concern at any point that once dry January was done and we moved into February, March, there would be a dip? Or was it literally just so organic that you didn't really necessarily have to think about those ebbs and flows in, like, I suppose, a normal product-based business's sales? I think you definitely need to keep an eye on it. And I think you will naturally... I had no historic sales to kind of base on. I didn't really know what to expect. I wouldn't be naive enough to say, you know, the sales were just pouring in and I didn't have to do anything. Like you do... (laughs) Put your feet up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wish. You do have to kind of constantly be on it. And all these things like the sampling, collaboration, I actually use social ads quite a bit in the beginning. So pretty much all of any marketing spend I had went on social ads because it was just an easy way to reach people via Instagram and the right kind of people. So I think you definitely have to um, keep pushing but then you'll kind of see where your curve is. So, you know, we do really well at November, December, because of gifting, then dry January, and actually extends out into Feb. You see a little bit of a dip, and then summer comes along, and everyone wants to be outdoors having barbecues. So a tropical non-alcoholic drink works really well. So I think you just understand. And it's also about taking advantage of those times, knowing that people are going to be seeking out your product. So actually, what can you do extra to really push and maximise that period? I think it's just probably worth keeping an eye on that yeah definitely I noticed that obviously you've already got a good selection of accolades to your name as well and obviously my mum is an avid good housekeeping reader but the (laughs) fact that good housekeeping have labeled the drink as the best out of the 20 non-alcoholic drinks all of those kind of things I'm so aware that that's incredible and I'm just aware of like the process that goes into applying for those so was it a case of applying for as many awards as possible or as many competitions and seeing what comes in or like you know how selective are you in terms of what you put the brand what's the word I'm going for forward for yeah Yeah, forward for no I know what you mean Um, it's a Friday sorry (laughs) housekeeping actually approached us I think you know they actively did that search for products I think they wanted to get a really wide scope and do like a fair they take their panels really seriously but we do you know we do apply for awards I think it comes down to time as well like in the first year award entries take quite a long time and so it wasn't always necessarily where I actually physically had the time to spend but now we've got a bit more of a team we've got more time to apply and so we're seeing quite a few more awards come in I think it is a balance like you will get discovered if places are doing these kinds of panels and if they're doing it properly they will discover you and come to you but I think also you know just keeping an eye on it like a lot of places will put out requests on Twitter and so it's just kind of keeping an eye on that that's relevant to your industry I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned the team there. Let's talk about that. When did you realise that you had to start taking people on? Was there like a tipping point or was it kind of, I guess some people plan ahead and they see it coming. So they plan and others I've spoken to, you know, the work's just mounted up and it's got to kind of breaking point. So what did it look like for you? Yeah, I think I definitely put a lot of strain on myself in those first three, four months because I was literally, so I live in Bristol and I, a lot of the sampling I did was in London. So I was literally driving my car with a bar in the back, going back and forth. It was just nonstop. And then I was replying to everyone on social. And then I was also managing the orders for Sainsbury's. And so it just got to a point where I was like, I can't 
do everything and my background's in marketing so I was kind of like well, I should focus more on that but therefore there's a gap in the operations side and actually making sure that you know we're producing enough bottles and we can meet demand so um yeah I sort of identified that I needed an ops person that, that could be quite flexible and both my I've got two younger sisters and they've both been involved with Colonia in terms of helping me out with bits and bobs you know for the two years that I was working on it and they've been really helpful and so Christy my sister who's four years younger than me actually was like I'd really like to join so she did a week with me working with me just to see if we could work together and uh, yeah it worked really well so she actually became our ops and marketing so she joined in April, so four months after launching, she joined and then she was a massive help because she could do the operations side, but also help out. Like we did, was it that year? We did Taste of London. Oh, we yeah, did Mindful Drinking Festival. We did Balance Festival. So yeah, we definitely stretched ourselves and it was a massive help to have her. Yeah, absolutely. And they're the kind of things where I think when you don't run a business, it's so easy to look at a brand like yours and look at you as a founder and be like, God, she's so lucky going to festivals. That must be so fun, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I started She Can, She Did is because the work that goes into those festivals, the hours, the mental energy to be public facing, keep selling and responding to everyone that goes by, blah, blah, blah. But also physically as well it's so manual so how, how have you found I guess that side of the business and how do you kind of keep yourself going and making sure you're looking after yourself on days like that yeah it is exhausting and I totally get what you mean I think you've done you know it's stressful leading up to it you're normally there the day before setting everything up and then you have to be on your a game for the next three four however many days And I think it's just you need to just recognize don't be a martyr <laughs> first of all just know that you need to take breaks that you need to take mm. some time out realize when things are you're pushing and your body will tell you you know you'll start to feel a bit run down and I think there's no shame in getting support like with events I would try and do it all myself or you know with us and the team and now I'm like no we'll get extra people in make sure everyone has proper breaks and like not everyone's because everyone will push themselves but I think then you're exhausted mentally and physically and you're, you're no good doing yeah, yeah. it no, it's so, so true. So how big's the team now? Um, so six of us at the moment. Wow, that's amazing. So what, what are the roles? We've got a marketing manager, we've got someone that looks after social media, and actually we've had an intern, Bristol Uni intern, join us three weeks ago, which is cool. And then my sister looks after operations, we've got a finance manager, and yeah, and then there's me. How was it then if your background was more the marketing based, handing that role over to someone else when that really is something that you've owned, like you're clearly good at it? I always think that that's where the being boss and the leading team thing, that's where it gets interesting when you really have to hand over the bits that you enjoy as well. Yeah, I think it's about shaping what you want your role to be. One thing is I'm not super precious about anything and I recognize I can't physically do it all and I wouldn't want to because I knew quite early on that the main thing limiting us was the number of people. And the more good people you have in the business, the more you can do. Mm. And so it's frustrating knowing if we just had three or four more people doing that, we could be growing. That was really why I had no problem handing it off because I knew it was really good for the business. But actually, I'm still really involved in the marketing and the brand side. I'd say more brand guardian, if anything. And so I'm probably just there as more of a sense check. And then actually, Becky, our marketing manager, just kind of cracks on with it and, and makes it happen. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's just knowing that if you are someone that can't ever let go, you will eventually become the blockage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because people won't feel like they can make decisions. Your team need to feel empowered. They need to feel like they own that role. So you do need to take a step back, but also really work out 
what is your role in that business what do you enjoy you want to enjoy it so do things that you you do enjoy absolutely Just popping on here with a quick reminder that Tide Business Current Accounts happens to be the only place in the UK where you can register a limited company and open a business account in one process for free. For more information and to get started, please do feel free to visit www.tide.co forward slash start or follow the link in this episode's show notes. And how have you found the leadership side of it? Obviously, when you grow the team, I suppose you're not just responsible for the growth of the business and their careers, but also, I suppose, the direct line manager aspect of being the one in charge as well. Yeah, that was definitely something that was new to me because prior to that, I'd probably managed one, one or two people max. So then suddenly I'm like in this position where... I have to pay people, I have to make sure they've got pension, like all kind of stuff. Like, oh my God, what do I do? And I think it is just about taking it one step at a time. And so I think hiring my sister was probably cheating a bit because it like my first hire was my sister, and so I could practice on her. (laughs) You know, like if I got things wrong, it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'm really growing as a leader at the moment. I recently did a three-day course as well, which really helped. And I think just educate yourself, read, listen to podcasts. You're on this journey, you're constantly learning and you don't have to be amazing and brilliant at it from the get-go. Like you will learn over the years. I still meet people who are like way, way down the line in their career and they're still learning. And I think just mm. as long as you're open to it, you will, you know, you'll make mistakes, but you've just got to embrace them and make sure you learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back then, Ellie, the main kind of part of the podcast and the bits I suppose I'm most interested in are the bits that you found to be the hardest part of this whole journey and like the biggest challenges on the job, et cetera, et cetera. Predominantly because I feel like they're the bits that we're always going to have challenges, right? So it's like when you hear other people talk about theirs and the fact that they're still going, it's just whatever your obstacle, I guess, it encourages you that if they can handle it, you can kind of thing. So looking back, are there any standout really low points on the job? And I guess what did they look like and how did you handle them? Yeah, I mean, there, there were a few. The most recent one has to be the whole COVID situation because I think that was the first time I'd never really thought until that point my business could fail. And that was the first time you had to face that very, very real fact that everything I'd built up until now could have just come down crashing around me. And I think that was really hard because it's just out of your control. And I think it's very rare that you're in that situation where there is like a disaster, a global pandemic, and it's out of your control. But actually, I think it was interesting because then it really, it felt like with me, it really shaped me as a leader. Like I'm quite a calm person. So I realised I'm actually able to deal with quite difficult situations and remain calm and, and actually just think. And that allows me to then think logically and strategically. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to let this business fail. Absolutely no way. And so then you just become really focused on, okay, what is it that we need to do? And so that week just before lockdown, I was building out different scenarios. I think the hardest thing was not knowing, Mm -hmm. like not knowing what the supply chain was going to look like. Are we physically going to be able to get product out? If we can't, then we can't sell. And therefore, that's a big problem. And so it was just like not knowing, I think was the hardest thing in terms of planning. But I think, yeah, that was a difficult week, but it was good to get through it. And then... How did it play out? 
because I did a mini series for about seven weeks in the initial bit of lockdown. I remember the interviews in those first few weeks. I think I recorded the first one the weekend before. I think that we went into lockdown on the 23rd. I started recording the week before that right through and those ones the panic and like the chaos and the confusion in the initial like two weeks worth of episodes compared to the one seven weeks in when it's kind of all played out and yeah. it was just so interesting to see it all evolve so yeah how, how did it play out for you yeah so I think <laughs> I've definitely had a COVID plan that's for sure <laughs> the main thing for me was scenario planning like okay what happens if we can't get stock into Sainsbury's and therefore we don't have any retail sales what happens if we can't do this so it's looking at all our channels and then obviously the pub and bar industry shuts so we were like okay we know that that's not be happening for a long time so it was almost understanding like what's the worst possible situation for us right now and then if you can understand that and how to deal with it then you can kind of start moving up from that so that's what we did we're like hey this is the worst possible scenario of course it was making sure that the team were okay and, and like their safety was number one priority because it you know it's a difficult time like yes you could physically get ill and it was really real like you know I know people that had it and it's just a really incredibly stressful time knowing that you could get it or if you do get it you could pass it on to someone I think there was a lot of fear around that so I think mentally making sure that everyone was okay was important and then I think beyond that once we got through the kind of crisis critical survival situation it was like okay how do we turn this around we did a sort of really trying to understand what Kalenia's role within all, all of this is Kalenia's always been about bringing more joy to not drinking. So if you're not having a drink, how can it still be an exciting, enjoyable experience? And so we're like, well, everyone's going to be on lockdown for the next, you know, however many months. And lots of people were starting to do workouts and a lot of the gyms were pivoting to do online sessions. And we're like, okay, so people are going to be bored because they can't go out to the pub or bar and they're going to get to the end of the day and they might be tempted to go for a glass of wine, gin or tonic. But that's not going to be sustainable. So really, I think we found that our role was about being that healthier alternative mm -hmm. drinking option because, you know, people are sort of bound by their rituals. And we even did like a kind of whole happier lunch hour thing where we were all having colonial tonics with our lunch because you can. So I think it was just really understanding our role and how we could play a role and make it relevant and not just be pushing content onto people, like actually make it useful yeah, of course. to help them get through this. And so, yeah, if that was the kind of stage really, it was like safety, survival, then actually looking at how can we thrive. Once we knew that our channels that like we could still deliver into Amazon, we could still deliver into Sainsbury's. Then it was like, okay, how do we really push the channels that we've got? Mm, yeah, definitely. I think it's so interesting that you've managed to thrive in all of this and it is so deserved. And I think going forward, it surely must be comforting to know that you really have handled this so well. You know, there's always going to be challenges that crop up, but a global pandemic on the scale like this... <laughs> And yet the business is still managed to kind of pivot its way through and, and twist and turn and adapt to the times. That must be, you know, kind of a pat on the back for you, right? <laughs> I hope you've been able to like take some time to just appreciate that it's no mean feat, you know? Yeah, it's not. And I think in any business, you've got to adapt to survive sometimes. And you see some businesses don't adapt and therefore they don't survive. Yeah. And this is just like a really accelerated version of that everyone had to pivot and pivot like really hard some brands didn't have like a website shop set up it didn't trade on amazon you know we were fortunate that we already had those platforms it was just a case of really working on them optimizing them and, and making them work harder for us so i definitely think now spreading your risk a bit and not 
relying too heavily on one channel you know it's mm. definitely learning from this some brands that were really heavily reliant on the on trade so the pubs bars and restaurants scene it was a lot harder for them so a lot of respect to the brands that have had to do that yeah definitely and pre-covid before the pandemic kind of gave us a massive slap around the face and a giant wake-up call what were the challenges that you really struggled with before this I suppose even just the hardest part about being your own boss I think the hardest part is actually no one really prepares you for how I guess obsessed you're going to need to be with your business and and then the impact that has on your family your partner your friends when you start a business it changes everything and I guess you have to put in those hours to make it work if you're with someone that doesn't necessarily understand that that can be hard you know fortunately I've got a really supportive boyfriend I've got a really supportive family who've who have understood and mm. and you know my friendship group I probably do see them a little bit less but when I do see them it's a bigger catch-up and they understand that I'm at a time in my life where I'm really trying to make this work and so you do have to be a little bit selfish with your time and you realize you can't do it all so I think that that's definitely been the biggest biggest change for me it's not like you get kind of a regular day job you get home from the end of the day and you like switch off I don't have to worry about anything you know if something comes in if there's a problem with an order or there's some kind of issue, you have to be ready at any time, day or night, to deal with it. So I think it's that shift in mindset in your time. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think anything ever prepares you for that. I know when I launched You Cash Did, it was almost like it dawned on me about six months in that you either make it work or it fails. And then you put so much work in and you care about it so much that the latter's not going to be an option. You have to do everything. And that then, as a byproduct of that, you do become obsessed with it. Yeah, it's such a difficult juggle, but I can definitely relate to that. Are we allowed to talk about the amazing opportunity that came up for you in lockdown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, in terms of things that make it all worth it, tell us what happened a few weeks ago. So, I won't say the name, but, yeah, a Hollywood agency emailed us about a month ago asking, so they, they've got this theme, making cocktails, and... A certain Hollywood hunk <laughs> is going to be in it too. And so they were like, we, we absolutely love your brand. We would love for you to be in this film. Well, Kalenya, the brand obviously, and we'll use it to make cocktails. And I was like, that's pretty cool. So I mean, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> this is what I love though about like the whole running a business thing is that like, you could never have predicted that, right? Like when you launched for the dry January, you never thought like, oh, in 18 months, Hollywood's going to reach out. It's just so random, but yeah, things like that, like that must be a, a good pat on the back. Yeah, oh my God, when you get emails like that, it's like really exciting. And this is it, this is the highs and lows of like the startup world. You get really great highs, but then you also get lows and things go wrong. You take it much more personally and yeah, like more so than you would ever do. So you've got to celebrate it there, I think, because that's what's so exciting about being in a, in a smaller business. Mm -hmm. You don't get those highs anywhere else, I don't think. No, so true. Have you found that those around you, you've obviously mentioned that your immediate family and, and partner are really, really supportive. Yeah. Have you found, though, that when you can turn around and say, oh, yeah, and we're being featured in a Hollywood movie, have you noticed any relationships evolve from when you said that you were going to launch this thing as you've got more successful? Have any relationships evolved for the better or worse because of that? But I guess the reason I started with that is that sometimes I've found in the interviews that it's only when you can kind of have those public facing achievements that people are like, oh, she must actually be doing OK. Like, oh, it must be an actual proper business in inverted commas, you know? Yeah, no, I think I know what you're getting at. Like, I think for me, 
the main difference between where I was in my day job and where I am now is that I definitely love myself more. I'm more proud of myself. I think before I was probably lacking in confidence. And actually thinking about that, that was more reinforced by other people. And they're almost sometimes they're restricting you. And when you start a business, you have that chance to really prove to others what you can do and what you're capable of. There's no restrictions. And I think that's really when the magic happens. And now I get it. Oh, wow, you're doing really well. I see you everywhere. And you no, know, I see you can in the press. And you're kind of like, you think you have to give yourself a pat on the back and go like, yeah, I did that. But this is why it comes down to, I think you need to have that relationship with yourself. You need to give yourself that opportunity mm. and then your relationship with other people will change and if that person didn't believe in you well it's like well you've shown them <laughs> yeah yeah so true I don't think any relationships have changed for the worse I think for the better I think you know I feel like I have more respect from people I've had to prove it sometimes you have to show people physically show people what you're capable of before they believe you yeah you know it's like when you're in an interview and you're like I can do this job and then you're giving them examples and they're like yeah yeah okay but you don't have this experience or you, you know you don't have that and you're like okay not yet but I think sometimes you just need to be given the opportunity absolutely and I feel like that's when you really can I guess run with it and thrive but I've obviously know that your dog's sleeping in the background there. Um, what does downtime look like for you? Because obviously the business, it is thriving. Like you said, the hours when it is like an absolute passion can yeah. add up. So yeah, how do you make sure you're looking after yourself and what does switching off look like for you? So I guess the main thing is I still treat weekends like weekends. It totally depends. Like if there was something, if it, you know we had an event on or maybe not necessarily in this world but you know last year there was like Taste of London or Balance Festival I'd be working at the weekend but now I definitely especially now after lockdown I think everyone's got a lot more time we're not traveling we're not rushing around as much I definitely treat weekends like weekends so I get to Friday and I'm like right it's a weekend yeah I'm gonna spend time with my boyfriend my family my friends and so I think having that separation from work is still important mm. and then also just like for me routine as I get up I go out and walk my dog. So today is a really, really sunny day and it's just nice to get out, get some fresh air, get out for like half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever you need. Yeah, and I think that just starts the day right because I think when you're leading a business, I think sometimes you're naturally wired to just work all hours of the day and sometimes you just need to stop yourself and go, you need to take some time out mm. just to rest and recuperate. So it is important to have those switch off points. Yeah, absolutely. Has that become easier with time? Have you always been like that from day one? Obviously, I know that you said with Taste of London and stuff, the odd event, but from the summer of 2018 onwards, was it very much like weekends will be, unless there's an event, I'm having the weekend? I'd say because I was a solo female founder, I was working a lot and because I was trying to do it all. And so it's definitely got easier as the team's got bigger. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's just physically time, isn't it? You know, if you don't do it, no one else is going to. So I think be smart about it's that old thing kind of work smart don't do all of the hours a day is there a way that you can speed this up I think just thinking of that yeah probably I should have done more of in the beginning rather than like physically trying to do it all yeah absolutely going forward then Ellie where do you see this brand going like can you see yourself running this forever is it something you want to sell what does the I guess 10 years down the line 20 years down the line yeah, I think we've only really just scratched the surface. I've only really just scratched the surface with Kalenio. Do I think it's the only business I've got in me? No, probably not. Like however many years down the line, I might want to start like a new project. But I definitely think there's way, way, way more to do with Kalenio. Like we've only just started. 
there's so much more growth in the UK that we've got. I want to go global. So yeah, I think it's difficult to say, but I definitely think that I'm so excited about the brand at the moment and, and that's not going away anytime soon. It's a kind of brand where, yes, there's so many drink brands out there, but there's so many people in the world that drink. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't matter. There is room for you to literally do exactly that. Yeah, I'd love it to be a household name. I'd love it to be able to get that recall. But, you know, there's still a lot of work to kind of get there. And um, we're, we're getting there, but it takes time and effort. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. Looking back then, what have you learned about yourself? You mentioned earlier that you like yourself a lot more now, confidence-wise, but has anything really taken you by surprise throughout all of this? I think <laughs> the one thing I'm more surprised at about than anything is that actually my longevity and my ability to see this through. And I think I actually realise I'm quite a tenacious person. And so when I get something into my head, I will work at it and I will keep going until I get there. And I think that's something that I just, because I hadn't ever done anything like this before, I wasn't sure if I was capable of like seeing it through. And now absolutely I know that I can. Mm. I won't just get bored of it and just kind of move on to something else. Like I'm, I'm really committed to this. Yeah, I think that's been quite enlightening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, and it's so true. You need that though, don't you? Because I think that's what kind of sieves out who's in it for the long haul. But like that tenacity is on those low days. And when things like COVID hit, you need that to be able to grit your teeth and get through it, right? Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, to round up, I always end with some statements. So I'll start and I'd like you to finish, please. So number one, being my own boss means? Setting my own goals. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to? Um, take a step back, reassess and replan. Yeah, absolutely. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. Ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and audacious, like you said. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. The world is your oyster, don't hold back. Absolutely, and very lastly, Ellie, I want my legacy to be that. I'd love my legacy to be that I was the woman that was able to make not drinking, not just acceptable but enjoyable and hopefully inspired a few others along the way. I love that so much. Thank you so much. That was so good. I loved it. Thanks for having me. I've absolutely enjoyed. I've loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it for now though enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode mm-hmm.